0: Welcome to the Women's Leadership Network podcast series. This series was created as a means to encourage, inspire and empower women who want to make their lives better.
1: My views changed as I went down a path and I realized that not only was I good at what I was doing, but I really liked it, which is a great combination. So I think that the 1L of today would look back and be shocked and not even recognize me.
0: We look for current issues and challenges facing women in the legal world and offer ways of tackling these issues, as well as provide a community of support and engagement. I'm Jeannie Forrest for the Women's Leadership Network. Our guest today is Marilyn Sopel, a recently retired M&A partner at Paul Weiss and a 1978 graduate of NYU Law. I'm so tickled you're here, Marilyn.
1: I'm very um, happy to be here.
0: We're supposed to be talking about your career as a corporate lawyer, so this will be kind of fun because everybody wants to be a corporate lawyer and make tons of money.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe <laughs> after they hear my podcast, they may change <laughs> they
0: their They may change mind. their mind. <laughs> well, that's where we start. We usually start, because this is oriented around women, we usually start by asking you to cast yourself back to, here you are, a graduate of 1978. The 70s were a hot time in the old K Corral. What was it like for you to be a law student?
1: I had a fantastic three years at NYU Law School. I never really thought about being a woman or a man. or it, Gender really didn't come into my experience. I recall that our class was pretty much 50% women and 50% mm-hmm. men. And I also recall that the women were the smartest in the class.
0: (laughs) I Gotta love that. Um,
1: But it was really a time, and this continued obviously when I I started my practice in 78, it was a time when women wanted the world to be gender blind. We wanted to be recognized on our merits Mm -hmm. and not because we were women. So I don't really recall having a special woman's moment When I was in the law school, uh, I spent virtually every day and night, in my recollection, in the law library or in the journal, at the journal, working. There were women professors at the school. Professor Bierenbaum was one of my um, mentors and got me my first job in the legal profession after my first year, and she was spectacular. And there were other women professors as well. But I never really thought about Being a woman in what I came to learn was very much a man's world. Mm -hmm. I was protected from that in in a a big way in the law school, and I I think the law school did a terrific job at looking at each of us for what we did and how we produced and um, the work product, etc., and didn't really focus at all on whether we were a woman or a man.
0: It's a tricky balance. Somebody recently told me that those words, to man up. Mm-hmm. is actually kind of a sexual gender assault um, yeah. that you shouldn't be expected to man up. And I was, I manned up all my life. That was part, kind of part of it. You were supposed to be tough. So it is a tricky balance because I remember having a conversation with Judith Kay about this. She was of our generation and wanted to be known as somebody who was competent and strong and brought some, amazing, insightful things to the conversation. And she didn't want to be thought of as the woman at the table. And so we come from that, and at the same time, it deadened certain aspects of ourselves. And we had to, in a lot of ways.
1: Agreed. But at the time, I didn't really feel like I was getting a short shrift. Mm and. You know, going into large firm practice, you know, frankly, as a as a young associate, I never really noticed how male dominated the firm was mm-hmm. and the clientele were. It uh, maybe I was out to lunch. Uh, I just spent. It, it was a time when we, for me, I just wanted to do the best job I could. Yeah, we kept our heads heads down (laughs) and worked really hard. Exactly, exactly. Now that's not to say that I wasn't, there weren't constantly comments, Mm -hmm. less so from my male colleagues, but Mm -hmm. there were comments from male colleagues, much more so from clients, particularly as a corporate lawyer, representing corporations and investment banks. I constantly was the only woman in the room and things were said regularly, and then the men would take a look at me and say, oh, I'm sorry I said that, or please excuse me, or whatever. Something and, about the language or exactly. an off-color reference. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think this was rampant, actually, uh, Did at you feel the time. like you
0: had to toughen up or cuss in front of them to hold your own? You know, I took a different route. Mm-hmm. I always,
1: my view was to not make a big deal out of it, to make a joke of it, not to try to counter it on the same level because that wasn't me and it would it would have fallen flat on its face. And what I actually learned throughout my career was that at the end of the day, the men underestimated me and mm-hmm. the other women, the few and far between we were at the firm and around the table and we did our homework and we kept our nose to the grindstone and we ended up doing very well in negotiations right. um, with them. And so I thought it was like kind of my secret weapon, my gender in some respects, mm-hmm. and that's how I used it throughout my career. Not sexually, but you know, kind of taking advantage of being underestimated when I really shouldn't have been.
0: I completely agree that that's a, a secret weapon. I told my daughter recently that I um, am really good at negotiating with the patriarchy rather than confronting it. And I think that that does become a skill. It's definitely
1: something I worked on a lot through my career. And it it served me well. Mm-hmm. It got harder after the 80s and mm-hmm. went into the 90s. The clientele, at least um, at Paul Weiss, where I was then partner, Really changed a lot and became much more heavily on the side of the private equity funds and the hedge funds, which actually were a different animal in many respects, and very male-dominated, and to this day still are, very crass and tough generally. Now, obviously, these are gross generalizations, but but I thought I, I think it. they're they're warranted, and. Unlike my, well, my experience in the 80s when I was working for corporations and it was a different time when people really valued the work as opposed to the personality or, or whatever, it became much harder um, in the 90s with those clients to, to make my mark with them, to have them listen to me mm-hmm. and rely on me and look to me for my judgment. So in a funny way, I found that the the world became much more sexist in the 90s than it was in the 80s, at least in my experience. And all of a sudden, I became much, much more aware of the fact that I was a woman, I mean, in practice, and that clients, some clients, that bothered them, especially when it came to giving them high-level judgments about business transactions there were actually times when they looked at me and I thought that they were saying to themselves, I don't, I don't want to take advice from my mother. <laughs> my so grandmother. Part of it,
0: part of it is uh, you're framing that a little bit as an age thing. And I, I don't have a lot of experience with that particular profession, although I will say that um, there's been times when I've been on the subway and there's a certain brashness, cockiness, and there is an age profile and definitely a gender profile.
1: I think age had something to do with it. Obviously, as I became more senior, I became older and a lot more wiser. Uh, I imagine. I, I hope so. Um,
0: a lot more wiser, a lot wiser.
1: <laughs> and I, you know, and and the clients did get younger. I think that 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 is mm-hmm. an accurate observation. But even among the senior people of that group of clients, then there were one or two in the room most of them are a lot younger. Mm -hmm. Their view of the world was very different than, at least in my experience, the clients that work for large corporations or investment banks, which tend to have more of a long-term view and are more interested in relationships rather than quick turnarounds of let's buy the business, sell the business, break it up, and let's go on to the next one. And so the negotiations tended to be a lot tougher and meaner in some respects
0: Mm -hmm. more aggressive
1: Uh, much more aggressive much more aggressive
0: interesting um
1: and for for me uh, less fun actually less fun because I I didn't feel that I was my advice was being appreciated as Mm -hmm. much as it were with other clients so Lucky for me, I was able to work with a lot of other clients. I continued throughout my career working with some hedge funds and private equity funds that were wonderful, and I, um, I um, had a lot of respect for it and
0: I think vice versa. And vice versa. They, you're known for being a wise and seasoned counselor. So <laughs> you've been at Paul Weiss for most of your career, and you chose, obviously, chose corporate law. It sounds like at some point along the line you must have had some doubts about this, but you developed this huge expertise. Did you have huge doubts about whether or not this was the right choice? Did you ever think about bailing and going and doing something else? I never had a doubt that
1: corporate law over litigation was the right choice. As mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, um, Sheila Baum helped me get a job after my first year in law school in a defense law firm, you know, products liability Um, Mm -hmm. medical malpractice. So that was my first real entree into litigation. And, you know, you talk about kind of a rough and tumble world. And it was after that summer that I realized that I – didn't really have the personality for litigation. I can be tough and mean, but I have kind of a happily ever after view of the world. I'm much happier when I win, but the other person isn't sitting in a pool of blood. Right. (laughs) You don't want to annihilate them. Exactly. So, I like to win, don't get me wrong, and I like to win for my clients. But, so it was pretty early on in my career, I realized that I, I didn't think I had the personality to be a litigator and I much more enjoyed like having a negotiated solution to many things and figuring out a, a way through the differences among you know adversaries. So corporate law suited me much better. I think as a woman, and I mentioned this earlier, I don't think M&A is, was a good choice. If I had to do it all over again, I would have become a tax lawyer really or an ERISA lawyer maybe or something that was a real specialty because I think the men tend to think that they know how to do business and they know corporate Marilyn, transactions they, think they know how to do everything <laughs> come on and so I think the clients you know I you know sat for years and years, and watched how the clients listened to every single word the tax lawyer said, be it a woman or a man, because they didn't really understand the tax law. That was very specialized. And obviously, the tax ramifications of a transaction are critical. So I really thought that women, it was easier for them to gain the respect of clients if they were in a different area of the law than Mm -hmm. M&A.
0: So you had so you would then develop such a specialty that they would be reliant, in a way, on exactly, you. Exactly, exactly.
1: Now, the mm-hmm. other problem with M&A is, is the problem of work-life balance. I think it's much easier if you want to have some kind of flex time or even a real balance in your life to, to for family or for other things to be in a different area of the law because M&A – has, in my, in my experience, has always been but is, has gotten much worse, and now it's really on steroids where it's a 24-7 practice, and the clients expect it to be 24-7. And it's really very difficult if you want to be on flex time or you want to get home to see your kids ever uh, to mm-hmm. do so if you're an M&A lawyer. Except after your deal dies, or you know, you close, and you have that couple days, maybe or 24 hours till the next deal. Your question about whether or not I ever questioned my career path, and I think the answer to that is is definitely yes. There were after I had children. I have twins. Mm-hmm. After I had children, for many years when they were young, I really questioned whether or not um, I should continue. Or, you know, being a partner of Paul Weiss. And what was,
0: kept you there? Something kept you there.
1: My late husband, who was a partner at and then managing partner of Cleary mm-hmm. Gottlieb, was my biggest cheerleader when it came to my talents as a lawyer. And although he would have been fine with me quitting if that's really what I wanted to do, he really urged me to stay in the game, and in reflection, and because of many things that happened in my life, I am so grateful that I did. Mm -hmm. As my kids got older, it really, work was very fulfilling, and if if I didn't have it, I, uh, with the kids, you know, kind of off on their own, I think I would have been really quite lost. And you know, frankly, financially, it's really been you know uh, a gift in some ways. Although I earned it, for me to be able to retire and okay. ha- and now do a lot of things that I wasn't able to do. So I mentor, I have mentored, and continue to mentor a lot of women lawyers, and I try to keep them in the game as much as I can. Mm-hmm. But it's very difficult, um, and I think all the law firms and I think the law school as well, sees this, that women more and more today really don't want the lifestyle of a big-time M&A partner at a big firm. Right. They'd, they'd They'd much rather do something else where they can get the satisfaction intellectually, maybe less satisfaction financially, but they're willing to give that up so they can have more of a balance in their life.
0: I'm glad that you talked about your late husband being such a cheerleader. We joke here, and I know I certainly do, um, about making wide generalizations about the guys in our lives, but I'm really, I know that I'm very grateful for a lot of the men in my life who've stood by me and promoted me and pushed me forward and cheered me on. Um, And it sounds like that you had that as well.
1: Absolutely, my husband was cheerleader number one, but there were many partners of Paul Weiss, mm-hmm. all male with one exception, that were terrific—not just mentors, but you know, i, I say when I, to young uh, women lawyers, when I'm mentoring them and giving them my advice to, for whatever it's worth, that you really need someone or some people in your life through your career to help bring you in from the ledge. Which is a pretty dramatic (laughs) visual, I guess. Don't jump, don't Uh, jump. But there, you know, it's hard to be a woman in the legal profession today. There are moments when, you know, I'm sure it happens to everyone that you just say, "I'm done." that's it. I can't take one more minute. Mm-hmm. And you you need people to kind of bring you back to a sense of reality or perspective. And my husband and the the mentors that I had, a poor wife, were very, very good at that and kind of kept me in the game.
0: Well, it sounds like that you had that very early on with Sheila Birnbaum and then throughout your career that kind of held you together and talked you off the ledge. What can we do? Um, I think about this this notion of changing the profession, what can we do to make law firms more supportive for women? Mentoring, talking people, kind of providing that touchstone certainly sounds like one of those things. Is there anything structurally that you would think might help? What I think is very important
1: is for the law firms to really promote their women talent in ways that I don't think historically they have
0: conscientiously, intentionally.
1: Exactly. I mean, I think what what makes life easier as a lawyer in a big firm is to have your own clients. Mm-hmm. Ha- because having your own clients is very fulfilling in, in many ways. Uh, the relationships, uh, obviously the work, you also have more control over your life. And they tend to if you get close to them and you work with them over a number of years, they tend to understand what's important to you in your life, and they try to not get in the way to the extent they can. Or when they do, they're very apologetic. Um, and those kind of clients are hard to find these days, particularly with law firms charging you know $1,500 an hour for, for legal advice. Clients feel like you know they own their lawyers and can call or email any time of day and expect a response. So I think developing your own clientele is gives women, gives all lawyers, but just being a woman, a, a real freedom in a way that mm-hmm. is very hard to do if you're always at someone else's mercy at the firm for business or at clients that don't really know you or understand you. So I think it's a win-win for firms to help women develop their own sense of their own clients Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons to really have
0: stable relationships with those folks and be the rainmaker exactly Mm -hmm. exactly so
1: gives you more power at the law firm too absolutely absolutely and that's that's also very critical so i um i and i do think that firms can do more in that regard in in giving women the platform So, it is something the firms can pay more attention to and do more of. Uh, As I said, I think it's a win win. I know that Paul Weiss has been focusing on this issue and has been taking steps in that direction. You know, many clients are men. Most of the clients are men, even to this day. And, you know, when they have big problems that are kind of bet the farm type problems. A lot of them tend to feel more comfortable with men than with women, and they need to be assured and coaxed a bit to accept a woman lawyer being the head of the team. And you know, the rainmakers at the firm um, are really capable of doing that if they take the time and are willing to kind of get the clients to accept the woman that they present as the person that they're sure is going to do a spectacular job. And um, so it is something the firms can, can do more of and can focus on. And as I said, I think it's a win-win. You're um, talking
0: about two different components of this. One is the notion of intentionally promoting women and putting them in the place, giving them a place at the table, giving them an opportunity with the clients. And then you're also talking about selling the women to the clients to say, look, she's an all-star. You're going to be, she's going to deliver a win for you you're going to be really impressed with what she can do for you. And so they need to not only promote the women, but also back them up once they promoted them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and,
1: you know, a lot of men just, aren't willing to do that Mm -hmm. or it doesn't even dawn on them to do that so some of it is education some of it is is the way the firm is structured I mean why if compensation is purely based on the business that you bring in and do then why would a man who's so capable because of his relationships who brings in business be willing to let a woman partner right. <laughs> do the work and get credit for it. Do the work is fine, but the credit. So it requires firms to do a, lot, a bit of soul searching mm-hmm. on how their compensation is structured, how the, the power in the firm is structured in order to help some of the women kind of break through. And again, it's a win-win for them, frankly, because the more successful the women are, the, the more successful the law firm is. Not only financially, but also they pro- they're, they're role models for the younger women. And, you know, the numbers of women partners in large firms is still pretty pitiful, considering that the law schools are fi- more or less 50-50. And the number of women in the large law firms that really are the power brokers is virtually non-existent, with right. very few exceptions. So,
0: Well, and women bring something, I think, very powerful and unique to the table that's that makes it a win-win and then the third win is that that it creates a depth and stability to the law firm.
1: Absolutely I mean you know I've heard some people say like who cares if we have women partners who cares if we have women lawyers
0: and you know it that argument is completely fatuous because the women bring something very powerful I think to the table. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean women think differently
1: than men. I I you know I actually believe that. I think there's been many studies that show that.
0: It and it's so think, helpful in strategic conversations <laughs> exactly. to have a woman in the room. Absolutely, absolutely. Otherwise there's entire swaths of things that are missed. Exactly. Exactly.
1: So um, I mean I think firms recognize this and they and they're all grappling with how do we keep the women in the game because the young Younger women really don't stick around for so many variety of reasons, and as much as we try and try, Marilyn, tried. you
0: just talked about bringing them back off the ledge. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can see why
0: they wouldn't want to stay in this business. I,
1: I understand, and I, you know, I'm, and speaking to the, to the former dean and current dean of the law school, I know the law school is grappling with this yeah. too in getting many of the women's law students even consider going to big firm practice right. you know they'd much rather do they something. start pulling
0: their punches pretty early yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely it's okay. true well I typically end our conversations with a question that ends up being um, not so subtle advice to 1Ls and to law students generally but when you think back to the beginning of your law school experience what advice would you give your 1L self knowing what you know now
1: this was a hard question. I thought about this question, and it was very thought-provoking for to me. our audience.
0: Just so you know, we prepped her for this question. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Because uh, I'm glad
1: you did. Because this is this is a hard question. You know, one of the things that I that I lacked in law school, and for much of my career, is self-confidence. Mm. So I think if I had to do it all over again, I would try to be much more self-confident.
0: The other thing that I didn't. It's so amazing to me because I just think of you as somebody who just delivers the goods.
1: Uh, I'm good at faking the confidence, but it's it's, really—it's—it's always been a struggle for me. I also—I spent a lot of my law schools, as I alluded to earlier, just with my nose to the grindstone, and Mm -hmm. I never really looked up to smell the flowers or, you know, or beyond. And. There's so many things that the law school offers today. They probably did then too that I just was clueless about because I didn't. I didn't spend any time networking or getting really getting to know a lot of my professors, or going to programs where I heard about all different kinds of professional opportunities. I kind of decided early on the kind of way I wanted to go, and I just, you know, stuck tried to it. stuck with it. And I think. Looking back, I may have made other decisions, as we, we talked about mm-hmm. earlier. I was sorry I didn't take advantage of some of the, the things that were available to law students when, when I was here, and now seeing what's available to law students today at the law school, it's just amazing. Um, and it's worth taking the time to take advantage of some of those things, I think.
0: That's great counsel, the idea that we get so, I think, bound up in our own fear and lack of confidence that we're afraid to even explore our own interests. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And um,
1: we just want to get the work done and yeah. go home. <laughs> and that, <laughs> women tend to do that, and I've, I've definitely been one of those women. Mm-hmm. And you lose out on a lot by by having that approach, both to practice and to life. So I would urge one L's, two L's, even three L's, yeah. to uh,
0: take a step back. Take a breath, drop the books for a minute. Exactly. There's a, there, again, that's a weird balance because obviously we have to say, study hard, your achievements really count, you, you do have to deliver the goods, but at the same time, stopping to explore options, it's really Ex- powerful. Exactly, exactly. What would that little 1L think of you now, <laughs> at this point
1: in your life? I never thought that I would either go to a large law firm or and definitely never become a partner in a larger law firm. It was not it wasn't even on my wish list actually when I was when I was a young lawyer and I uh, so I think they'd be very surprised if you I mean they'd say what happened.
0: She'd be gobsmacked (laughs) at all you've accomplished.
1: (laughs) But I guess my views changed as I you know went down a path and um, I realized that not only was I good at what I was doing but I really liked it which is a, a great combination um, right so oh, I
0: love th- I love to hear you say that that you were good at it and you liked it so I think that the
1: 1L of today would look back and be shocked and not even recognize me. But that questioning confidence thing would still sneak out a bit. Mm-hmm. And and also the fact that you know I tend to go full steam ahead when it comes to the work. I haven't stopped that in right. my 40 years since I graduated. So that hasn't changed.
0: Well, there's still part of us that is still punitive and scared and <laughs> worried that we're somehow not gonna be good enough.
1: Exactly, and found out, you know, that's, that's the thing, you know, that someone will find out that I'm really not as good or not as smart or not as this and not as that.
0: I know but. I've said before that I think um, introverted women particularly are subject more so than anyone else to um, imposter syndrome. And so when I ask what would that 1L think of you now, um, I realize I say, what did that little 1L think of you now? And that is a diminutive that has the potential to be insulting. Um, but I think that there is a part of us when we start an adventure like law school that does feel very little, that does feel very small and scared. And you've certainly bloomed and been had an amazing career and continue to be a huge contributor. And I love that you're still mentoring. So I hope you feel proud of yourself.
1: Oh, I do, I do, and I and I think it was terrific that you asked me to come give this podcast because it really made me think a lot about those years. Yeah, and um, and I'm thrilled to be able to relay that to law students who may, you know, may take a bit of it and say, I recognize myself in that. Yeah, and maybe I can change myself a little bit or continue as I'm doing or whatever so thank you very much I well really thank appreciate you it.
0: thanks for doing this my pleasure for more information about the women's leadership network at NYU school of law and to access more episodes in this series please visit us online at law.nyu.edu slash women's leadership